Welcome to Business Talk Sister Talk. I'm Becca. And I'm Ruthie. And today's episode title is What is Blockchain? And I just realized I forgot to ask Carter how to pronounce his last name. <laughs> Wetzel, W-O-E-T-Z-L, a little bit of German. Wetzel, okay. Carter Wetzel is with us today. He actually wrote a book all about this, so I'm super excited to talk with him. Thanks so much for being with us today. Yeah, absolutely. Pleasure, pleasure's all mine. Always happy to come in chat about all all the tech things and do do the best we can to try to explain it to everyday people. It's where my heart's at, just educating people and whatnot. Yeah, so the the first question we have for you is what exactly do you do? Yeah, so I am in an interesting stage of life because I am a senior in college, so I'm graduating with a computer science and finance degree. Um, I have a startup, and the name of the startup is Secure Secrets, and what we do is we run a lot of different nodes and servers that essentially run the transactions that allow cryptocurrency to work. We're the underlying infrastructure. We're part of that layer that allows all of this magical stuff, Bitcoin, all the stuff you guys have heard about where we run the actual servers. And that's, uh, that's how we make the money, the big bucks. Wow. Okay. So tell us a story. Why <laughs> do you do that? What's your story behind that? Yeah. So this journey for me really started back in 2017. I had a cousin, Garrett Wetzel, kind of reach out to me about this technology, this cryptocurrency called Bitcoin way back then and it immediately really appealed to me the idea of a currency that you know didn't have a centralized authority it was like this decentralized community of people where we can exchange peer-to-peer without like a centralized intermediary and as someone who's believes that kind of uh the ability to spend money is like a form of freedom freedom of speech in and of itself i just got sucked into the community it's at the crossroads of economics computer science, game theory. Uh, So the subject matter itself just fascinated me. And from there, I read a lot of, to be honest, bad literature. (laughs) There wasn't a lot of well-written books out there. And so in the process Mm -hmm. of educating myself on blockchain, I realized I was writing a book. Like I was actually taking notes for myself. And I'm like, oh, I have 50 pages of notes. Like this is, this is a book. Um, And so I ended up writing, writing a book that was a three-year journey um, and in the process of writing that book, met a lot of amazing people. And that's how I ended up meeting my, uh, co-founder. Well, he's the founder. I'm the co-founder and his name's Mohammed uh, Petla. He goes to the university of Toronto. So that's how we ended up meeting each other. And we decided to spin up the, the business together starting in June of 2020. Wow. There's so many things going on in this. And I would agree <laughs> with you, um, back, back when blockchain started becoming like really exciting, I remember being like, what exactly is this? And I did a bunch of like research on it and it was so confusing. (laughs) Like it was just like, I felt like I was talking to somebody that either was intellectually far beyond me or just not good at communicating. (laughs) Yeah, yep, yep, yep. So the next question we have for you is what what does that mean today for... um, going through the technology? How does it work? Yeah. So I always like to kind of start with the problem. Cause if I, if I give the definition of blockchain and I give the whole, like, Oh, this is what it is. It doesn't really mean anything. Right. So I'll start with the problem. Like when you, when you go to the gas station and you 
pull out your credit card and you, you know, purchase like a diet Coke, for instance, a lot of people don't realize that there's a lot of different steps in between, right? Um, there's trust that has to happen between you and the person at the counter. There's this intermediary where the credit card has to essentially reconcile ledgers between banks, between different organizations. And so something that people think is a peer-to-peer transaction um, isn't actually peer-to-peer. There's all these different individuals in the middle that you know are taking away value. They're kind of they're taking a little portion of it. Um, and so the question that blockchain is, is all about is, can we have peer-to-peer transactions without an intermediary, right? And that's kind of what, what blockchain is. It's this, this network of nodes, you know, different devices, everyone's interconnected and we all share the same set of rules. Um, everyone shares the same exact ledger. Every single person can all see these different transactions going on. And it makes it super difficult to game. It makes it super safe. Um, and it allows me to transact with you without a bunch of different intermediaries in the middle. So that's kind of what blockchain is. It's this big set of rules that allows ever that allows everyone to transact fairly um, without that centralized intermediary. Okay, so huh. that's kind of the the basic premise of it. And honestly, I'm I'm hearing you say all these things, and I'm like, wow. I think every single person who listens to this podcast is going to have to listen to like ten episodes of your podcast to kind of wrap, <laughs> wrap their head around this. Um, but who originally invented blockchain? Like, how was that created? Yeah, so it's funny writing the book. A lot of people think cryptocurrency. Oh, Bitcoin. Like two thousand. Like right after the two thousand eight financial crisis. There was this anonymous person named Satoshi Nakamoto that uh, posted this this paper that pretty much outlined Bitcoin. It outlined a way for us to change currency forever, to kind of potentially break away from the broken banking system in some capacity and kind of let people and decentralized communities retake control of currency. But what people don't know is that the ideas of blockchain have actually existed since 1970. Uh, there is a professor from yeah. Berkeley called David Cham, and he outlined every single component of blockchain, like the actual moving technology components, except one individual component that Satoshi Nakamoto in 2008 essentially solved. It has to do with this consensus programming mechanism so that people can't game it. I'm not going to go into the details there, but the ideas have existed for over 50 years but the actual implementation and use of it has only been around for about a decade now. So it's older than people think, but wildly young in the grand scheme of, of tech and currency. Yeah. So why do people want to use blockchain over other things? I think you answered it a little bit, but could you give us like an example of how people use it now? So in terms of where people are actually using it. Um, so I've actually done over 800 transactions on a big range of blockchain. So for me, using cryptocurrency is actually more familiar than using like Venmo. So right now in my browser, like on my Chrome browser, I have a cryptocurrency wallet on my phone. I have a wallet and it looks no different than Venmo does. The difference is that with cryptocurrency and blockchain, there's all these different apps that are being developed, all these different decentralized apps that are created. Um, For instance, right now there's decentralized lending. I can put, I can essentially take out a collateralized loan, no paperwork. All you need is an internet connection. 
totally permissionless. Anyone in the anyone in the world globally can can uh, interact with all these different apps out there. There's decentralized exchanges. We have people from Venezuela, Iraq, United States, everyone globally interacting with each other on these um, essentially protocols and these exchanges built on top of the blockchain technology. And it's all it's all permissionless. It's all kind of free entry for anyone. <laughs> okay, so let's just say like you you did get a loan through blockchain. How are you responsible for paying that back? And how do people p- keep you accountable if there's no stops to letting you take that out? Yeah, so right now the whole system, because it's a collateralized loan, you're technically putting up more collateral than the loan you take, which is part, part of the limitations right now. We're exploring what does it mean to come up with a decentralized like credit scoring system. Like how, how do you have accountability wrapped up in these systems with people that you've never met before? So these are, these are really big challenges. And it's part of the reason that the central banking system and banks are super helpful tools. They, they do provide a layer of accountability. The question is, is there an alternative? Is it feasible? And what we're discovering is that it actually, it actually is. Um, And so decentralized lending, decentralized finance. There's all these different tools that are being built out that are wildly valuable. And they kind of mimic a lot of these different exchanges, options trading, a lot of, a lot of different trading related stuff that we can do without kind of a centralized exchange. For the everyday layman, there's over, right now we're at about 70,000 different vendors, including Microsoft, Expedia, at and they're accepting cryptocurrency as an option. So we're seeing more and more vendors globally accept it. So straight up as a currency, it's becoming more usable, more valuable. Um, and, and a lot of people don't know just how rapidly merchants are starting to onboard cryptocurrencies as an option. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's, there's, there's lots of different fun use cases out there. But those are the two big ones I like to talk about is just currency and decentralized finance are the, the fun ones to not without okay. going too deep in the weeds. <laughs> yeah. So then how does all of this tie into the stock market? Yeah. So I think it's, it's really interesting in that uh, a lot of these different cryptocurrencies, they're not like firmly attached to a sovereign nation. So companies that exist within the stock market, they are attached to the U S economy, right? They're attached, they're attached to, you know, the ebbs and flows of, the economy based off of inflation, based off of Federal Reserve, based off of um, different legislation and regulation. Whereas something like Bitcoin and these different cryptocurrencies, because they're decentralized and neutral, they're kind of a hedge against sovereign economies in some way. Uh, it's part of the reason we've seen Bitcoin you know, skyrocket from $5,000 to $20,000 to $50,000, where it kind of stands today as more and more institutional investors, even including the Teslas of the world, are putting Bitcoin on their balance sheet because it's a hedge against crazy inflation in the United States. Um, one thing people don't know about is that for the longest of time, economies of scale have driven prices down on products quicker than inflation. So what that means is we don't really feel the impacts of inflation on our everyday goods. Because technology, factories, all of that, we've made prices cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. But in the 21st century, we're starting to come to a point where economies of scale are slowing down manufacturing. Mm -hmm. And guess what that means? It means everyday people are going to begin to feel inflation big time. 
It's not sustainable. The Federal Reserve can't just print $6 trillion and not have everyday people be deeply impacted. And that's what Bitcoin is. It's a hedge against inflation of massive sovereign nations globally. Wow. There's so much in there. I'm just so excited about it. (laughs) (laughs) And and I apologize for, it's like this, it's always funny. Oh, this, this could be my doc story. It's not a doc story, but the number of times I'll be like, there's one time I was at Taco Bell with some friends and people in a parking lot. It was really random, but like we're eating our Taco Bell, we're having a good time. And someone's like, so Carter, what's, I heard you wrote a book, like what's blockchain? And the whole room just like completely silent. And I was like, no, like that takes like 30 minutes to an hour. I can't just like, <laughs> I can't just like sprint through that for you, but I try. And that, and that's what a podcast is, right? It's the best attempt to not like sit down and, you know, like, with paper and pencil draw out things because sometimes that's what it takes (laughs) yeah yeah so how have you seen technology change since you started working with blockchain the biggest change is that we're finally seeing products come live so back in 2014 2015 like there was this massive community of like capital and investors that were excited about cryptocurrency they were excited about smart contracts which is like a whole different discussion of uh, like of a, how do I say this, on a transaction layer, um, a settlement layer. I won't, go into, I won't go into detail there. But long story short, back then, wildly smart people were writing these papers called white papers. They would outline different protocols, different products. And people were just kind of like throwing money at these people, like millions and millions of dollars. And there was no product, um, which is not good, by the way. That's, that's really not how businesses should be started. In my opinion, I think products should be built first and capital should come later. That's, uh, yeah. But now in 2020, 2021, we're seeing these research projects that sat there for five, six years finally launch and have real products and have users jump on board and start to use them. That's the, that's the biggest difference that we're seeing. There's so many developers and builders. And, we're, and the cool part, too, is we're seeing... We're seeing the best talent in the world enter into this domain. I get to work with some of the most brilliant people, people from MIT, people from Berkeley. Um, People love this decentralized movement. They love the ethos behind it. So it's like, what am I going to do? Am I going to go work for Amazon, like this potentially soulless company? Or am I going to go work in this very exciting startup community of collaborative people trying to build a better world of of finance, this open permissionless system globally? So Hmm. yeah, the people are great. Okay, so in keeping with the topic of people, how it's just really easy to have this ethereal idea of like, oh yeah, that'd be really cool, but I could never participate in that. How do people get involved with blockchain and how does one get a blockchain for themselves? What does that look like? Yeah, so I think the easiest first step is like, in some ways you do have to like purchase the cryptocurrency in some capacity. So there's a lot of different exchanges out there and it's just like you link a bank account to an exchange. And once you get the cryptocurrency itself and you send it over to your wallet on your phone or your um, like laptop, then this whole world of decentralized products open up to you. So one of the problems we're still trying to solve is like this onboarding process to get people from like us dollars to like having cryptocurrencies and doing all this fun stuff. Um, that process is still very centralized. It's a, it's a big it's a big problem. But for everyday people, 
you can you can essentially buy it and find out which communities are building interesting tools. Like a really cool one with Ethereum, they have something called NFTs. And essentially we're artists are starting to move their art onto blockchain. And what that does is it's, you can have provable scarce digital art. Like today there was a Wall Street article. Someone sold a piece of art for $62 million, a piece of digital art for $62 million. So there's this entire art community that's being sprung up on certain blockchains. We have different music communities that are starting to be sprung up. And, and it's all around this idea of um, decentralized ownership and it's about uh, permis permissionless participation compared to these everyday, like, can we have a Spotify without having a single Spotify company like stealing all the revenue? Like, can we empower individuals replacing the company with like a program that's perfectly fair, perfectly neutral that everyone can interact with permissionlessly. Um, so I, I honestly, I lost track of the question in that train of thought. Well, you're saying, how do you find like different things you're interested in? It just takes a little bit of research. Just go, there's different, people are using it for gaming platforms or super fun. Like there's, there's all sorts of different, different okay. things. People let me involved. just, let me just like try to visualize what you're saying. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, re repeat things to you. So you're saying that someone can take, let's just say I design something on like Procreate or Canva or whatever. Yep. I, I make some yep. piece of art and yep. then I upload it to blockchain and say, this is for sale. Pretty much. Yeah. And the thing is we have, we have like apps and websites, no different than like we use every day on the internet. And the back end is interacting with the blockchain. But like when you're on like a web page looking and uploading your art to a website to like sell it to other people, that looks like a totally normal user experience, right? Like no different than browsing an Amazon or Facebook, whatever have you. Like these are the front ends look totally normal. It's the stuff that's happening in the background that's being swapped out that brings in blockchain into the, the picture as this decentralized intermediary instead of uh like a centralized server website. Okay, okay. So then what I'm hearing from that is it's basically like a separate internet. Almost. Yes. We call it Web 3.0 because we want to build a world where we empower individuals and we remove the middleman. Like a lot of technologies that get created, they automate away the little guy. But blockchain automates away the big guy. We get rid of the big guy and we allow everyone else to be empowered to interact with each other directly on these platforms, which yeah, so is crazy, by the way. That's why a lot of big players don't like it, because it represents an existential threat in some ways to the power dynamic that's, that kind of exists out there. Okay, so are there any specific programming languages or math? Core? What, what, what would someone need to know to get started if they were going to say, I want to do blockchain for myself? In terms of being like a developer or a user, what 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 do you what do you mean by that question? Ruthie can tell you what we mean by that. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, is what kind of programming language is used to manage the blockchain platform, like JavaScript, or like how does it even work to program it? Yeah, so like I said before, we have your traditional front front ends. You know, you can do. HTML, JavaScript, CSS, Vue.js, whatever the heck you want your front end to look like. Um, and then you pretty much have your JavaScript interact with like an API that's attached to a blockchain. Um, so yeah, front end skills are still wildly valuable. 
Um, the people that are modifying the protocols themselves, like these blockchain protocols or making that backend infrastructure, there's a lot of different re- uh, languages out there. Rust is the one that's super in demand. Like if you, if you can program in Rust, you will be instantly hired in the blockchain domain for like 200K plus right now, like mm-hmm. straight up. So Python's good too. There's a lot of data analytics related work mm-hmm. that's happening as well. So yeah, Python and Rust, those in JavaScript. Okay. Well, you can clearly tell that we don't know a lot about this. So we're asking (laughs) questions that hopefully other people would want to do. (laughs) Um, But tell us about like the kind of people, because you'd said that you love the community surrounding blockchain. So what kind of personalities really excel in getting involved with blockchain? Yeah. So that's a fantastic question. Um, I've, I've found, so the community that I, like the, the community I'm specifically a part of is privacy focused. Um, and I found that that's, that attracts a certain kind of individual. Um, but what I, what I've found collectively is that people are just so open to collaborating and creating like in a typical small business, you're immediately in, I'm, I'm, I'm in a competitive environment. I'm in a competitive environment. How do I have a better product? How do I beat people to market? How do I draw customers in? Like it's it's this very like right from the get-go, it's like this competitive mindset. Um, and in the blockchain space, because we're so early, people work with competitors because it's like, are we gonna fight over the individual piece of the pie or are we gonna all grow the pie together? Because if we all grow the pie together, then we all win. So I, I straight up have people that are doing the same thing my business is doing and we collaborate all the time we technically compete on customers, but if us working together means our ecosystem gets a hundred thousand new customers or like users, then like that's a hundred times better than competing over the thousand customers that are there right now. And that's totally counterintuitive, I think, to traditional businesses like this, this collaborative decentralized movement. It's, it's totally, it's, it's, it's mind blowing in my mind to, to see people work together like that. It seems like a pretty foreign concept too. Like that's not really, that's definitely an anomaly in the market. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So tell us, where can people find you to hear more about all of these things that you're doing? Yeah. I mean, a good place is Twitter. I got like over a thousand followers on Twitter. So that's, that's a good spot. I tweet, I tweet out a lot. Um, You could follow secure secrets on YouTube. That's a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty, pretty early YouTube and a lot of people that follow that it's a very specific niche. Um, but yeah, Carter Wetzel, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever have you, I would highly recommend getting my book too, because I promise you the book simplifies. I, you know, it's part of the reason I love writing is because you can really, really, really drill down exactly into how you want to explain things. So I spent like (laughs) three years simplifying those first four or five chapters so much. So if what I'm hearing sounds totally out there, but like you can catch my excitement and you can catch the fact that there's something new and something game changing. I would highly recommend getting my book, Building Confidence in Blockchain, Investing in Cryptocurrency and a Decentralized Future. Um, I walk through it from the very beginning and I'll build you up to the very end. And everyone that's read it so far loves it. I've had people read it that like barely use computers and they've really enjoyed it, the book from start to finish. So it works for everyone. Awesome. Yeah, well, we're going to gawk about something, and I'm so excited. <laughs> so do you have a story for us that you want to share? Or... Uh, 
I, I don't think so. I, I, I want to hear what you guys are gawking about. What's, what's the gawk on the street nowadays? Okay. Okay. So Ruthie and I, um, one time went on a walk. This is a while back. Like, okay. Wait, we gotta, we gotta give some back context. Here. Context. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So my parents have a dog named Hulk. <laughs> and like <laughs> they, they named him Hulk. this. They made him this before while he was a puppy. Like, it wasn't like, it was almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy or something. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So his name is Hulk and he's a golden retriever. He's a a wonderful dog when he's inside. (laughs) When when he's outside, he just kind of becomes his own monster. Um, But he's just so incredibly muscular. I've never seen a more muscular golden retriever in my life. Oh, man. And Becca and I are both like five three, not really. We're not large, and um, so we're both taking Hulk on a walk. My mom always likes to call it taking Hulk on a drag because <laughs> if really more often than not, you end up looking at the stars on your back. <laughs> like, um, I so we. I Go legitimately ahead. have to like take the leash and hold it in one hand around my wrist and then wrap it behind my back and hold it with the other hand. It's literally like, you know, when you walk double down wrap, a hill. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you walk down a hill and you kind of like a really steep hill and you're leaning back and like kind of yep. shuffling, that's what it's like. You have to like lean into the leash so you don't get dragged. <laughs> Anyways, so we're walking and my neighbor who happens to be like good friends of ours they have this fenced in backyard and they had two dogs. And so he opens the door innocently oh enough, letting his dogs out. Oh and then Hulk just takes off. And I was walking next to Becca. I didn't really think anything of it. And then all of a sudden she just goes flying and is dragged on the ground. Probably at least I like flipped all feet. the way over it because yeah. I had it behind my back. So it had to spin me all the way around and throw me <laughs> on the picture ground. Picture you like sledding behind a dog, like just dragging you on the ground. Except way less fun. <laughs> I did not get dragged very far though because the leash like came off and then I was just like, I'm not gonna, I can't do this. <laughs> You were dragged pretty far because it was like the whole stretch of the dirt road and then into the grass. <laughs> so yeah. then she lets lets Hulk just lets him loose and then he goes and, and is like sniffing the dogs or whatever. And my favorite part was the <laughs> our neighbor, just a classic. I don't know. He just we he's so funny, but he just like looked over, could clearly see that Becca was like. <laughs> covered in grass and dirt and like and the dog was no longer with us and he just yells you guys good and we're like yep he just walked back inside we're just laughing the whole time because i'm like i can't believe that just happened like (laughs) i have have a dog story i have a dog story as well just your your story about a leash jogged my memory a little bit so okay we have a we were house sitting an 86 pound black lab for about nine months. Her name was Nina, bless her heart. And uh, so she was, she was like a rescue. So like, not like the best trained dog. So we had to be like pretty, pretty darn careful with, you know, open doors and whatnot. Well, one day we had like a door to door person come up and knock and Nina, Nina just bolts out the door. And we're like, Oh boy, here we go. Now I'm a, I'm a track guy. You know, I did, I did, I did, I did track in high school and college. So we, we start going full sprint and this, and, and Nina, bless her heart, just straight, just straight out into the road. We're like, oh my gosh, she's gonna, she's gonna get hit or something. 
or just hightailing it after her, like two or three of us, we keep going. And she holds an all-out sprint, I kid you not, for a mile. We're just, you know, come back, no. We're just, you know, she thinks we're playing, you know, she like looks over her shoulder, like looks like she's laughing at us. And then there was this other dog that came walking along and just, she just immediately, Nina just came to a complete stop, started behaving, just sat right there like, what are you doing? Why are you sitting now? <laughs> After a mile of all, now you sit and look at us like, like everything was just like another, another walk in the park. So. But, and the owner, we got to chat with her and she's like, oh, I'm glad we could, glad I could help your dog slow down a little bit there. So, <laughs> so that's, that's just a dog escaping the house story. <laughs> I bet you the person who knocked on the door felt horrible. <laughs> yeah, a lot of confusion. Yep. Uh, yeah. Well, thank you for joining us this week. We have really enjoyed it. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. I know it's probably... It's a, it's a pretty pretty uh, complex topic, so th- thanks for hearing me out. It was, yeah. uh, it was a good time. <laughs> yeah, what's the name of your podcast? Yeah, so it's called um, Community Unveiled, Meeting the Secret Validators. So it's, it's very business-focused because we talk with other people that run the same business type that we do. We talk with other validators awesome. or networks. So yeah, it's a fun one. All right. Well, if you guys loved what you heard, then go ahead and check him out. If you uh, love listening to us every week, then go ahead and um, like our Instagram page, Business Talk Sister Gok, and we will see you again next week.